Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, and a good morning to you. Uh, <laughs> it's weird how it was spring yesterday and now we're back into winter. And I know those of you who are serious Steeler fans are pretty down in the dumps. I must admit, I had the game on um, with the sound off, and uh, I couldn't believe what I saw at the very end. <laughs> what they, the other team got three attempts <laughs> at a field goal. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, three attempts given to us, uh, given to them by us. Wow, what a that that's a miserable loss. Uh. Just one more football-related thing, just because it's Monday and I'm, I'm, just getting back into the, into the swing of things here a little slowly. I I have a a personal story uh, that I was reminded of because of something that happened in the football world uh, yesterday. Um, I also saw that um, my other team, the Green Bay Packers. Um, lost again. They are having the worst year in God knows how long. <coughs> and that <coughs> Pittsburgh's own <coughs> Mike McCarthy, <coughs> their head coach, was uh, summarily fired. Um, and I, I was not necessarily surprised by it because I'd been seeing mutterings uh, about it for some time. But um, I know that there's a, a lot of blowback from people who thought it was a real classless thing to do to a, a coach who had uh, brought the team uh, back to so many, um, you know, well, I don't even know, two Super Bowl appearances, one win. I don't have a clue. Anyway, and that to be, to have that kind of record and to be sort of kicked out with just a few games left uh, on the schedule is is not particularly uh, nice. But then again, football is not a nice, a nice sport. And I noted um, that the guy who fired him, also named. Uh, Mike, what? The coach is Mike McCarthy. The guy who's the general manager is Mike Murphy. Easy to get those two Irishmen mixed up, right? Mike Murphy, who uh, now is, you know, taking a, a lot of crap from people uh, for kicking McCarthy out. And I, I was thinking that people... are complicated. It's something I'm always telling younger people who are, you know, so certain about things like this is the worst person in the world. Well, probably not. Or this person has no redeeming qualities. Well, probably not. I can think of only one person at the moment <laughs> that doesn't have any. I mean, really, people, you know, are complicated. So I'm thinking that as uh, this Mike Murphy, who I've never met, is villainized um, on Twitter and, and other forums today, I have only one uh, story about this man. And um, although I did, I, I believe I met him once at an event. But this is a story about my mother, and it, it says something about the kind of man that this Mike Murphy is. It has nothing to do with football. Uh, my, I have often noted that there's a small college uh, right outside of Green Bay, just three miles from our house, uh, called St. Norbert College. 
Um, and my family has been very much affiliated with it. Uh, my parents endowed a peace and justice center there, which brings in all kinds of uh, speakers and has for t over 20, 25 years. Um, that's how I got to meet uh, uh, Ellie Wiesel. Uh, there was always a dinner before, and so I got to meet these amazing people that were, were brought in, famous historians, Arthur Schlesinger, blah, blah, blah. Um, and s after my father's death, my mother stepped up and uh, to this day still is uh, the, the family uh, representative at uh, all of these events. And my mom herself has received a number of accolades from the, uh, the Peace and Justice Center. So there was a Chinese dissident brought in to give a speech. And there was a, a dinner beforehand at um, a nearby hotel. And my, my, the Chinese man was taken by my, my mother um, who, and that is often the case, she's a beautiful woman despite her age, and he was blown away when after dinner she began walking out and he said, aren't you, how are you getting to the college? And she said, I'm driving. And he said, you're driving alone? And she, I can imagine the look she gave him. Uh, he must have received a rather withering look. And uh, she said, well, of course. And she went to her car and drove to the college. While walking from her car to the venue, it was winter. she slid on some black ice and went down, face planted, face planting down. She had to be at the time maybe about 90, 91. And she's lying there face down and thinking, oh my God, I think I did something in my mouth. And someone immediately came up to her and uh, helped her up. My mother said he was this nice-looking man. And he asked if she was okay, and she said, yes, I'm fine. He's looking at her. He said, I don't think so. And she said, I'm fine. Meanwhile, there was like a tooth sort of like hanging by a thread uh, coming out of her mouth. And... Um, he said, I, she says, I have, a, I have an event I have to go to. He said, he said no. <laughs> he said, I have to take you uh, either to your home or to a dentist. I, I, I need to take you somewhere. And she put up a fight, as I imagine she would have, but he eventually got her into his car, and she directed him back to uh, our house. Uh, he brought her into the house, still concerned, uh, said, you've got to see a dentist. Please, do you have someone you can call? And this man stayed with her, a perfect stranger, till she called her dentist. And this being Green Bay, it was like, who knows what, 8 8.30 at night. She calls the guy uh, he says, I'll meet you at my office. Just come right over. And so my mom got off the phone and turned to the guy, who by this time she has identified. Um, she thought he looked familiar. And she, she said, oh, you, you're the head of the Packers. And she said he winced, like he did not 
in any way want to be that at the moment. He just wanted to be a guy who was taking care of this old lady he found face down on the sidewalk. And the two of them argued for, I, I, I mean, argued from the sidewalk to his car to the house to the phone to get the dentist. Then she said, I'll drive myself to the dentist. And he said, no, you won't. I'm taking you to your dentist. And, well, so that was Mike Murphy. And um, so I, I, what made me think of it is that I'm sorry, I, I happened to read some tweets that were just, you know, saying how awful a guy he is to have done this. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I, he's not an awful guy. I know. I know. He's the kind of guy who was on his way to someplace else and completely stopped his own life to take care of a perfect stranger and to do more than some would have done. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't have stopped. He not only stopped, he takes her to his, insists, I mean, he took command, took her to his car, took her home, insisted that she see somebody, got her to the, the doctor, um, and I'm, I just want to say, I, my, my big thing now is people are complex. <laughs> Most of us, neither good nor bad. There was a crossword uh, puzzle clue in the Sunday New York Times puzzle that said something like, the Bible says, all men are. And of course, the answer was sinners. And I thought, yeah, we sure as hell are. We all have our demons. We all have our really bad moments, bad judgments. We all have shame, or should, I suppose. We have bad thoughts. <laughs> uh, and yet we are all capable of, of good. And so I, I think what happens here a lot, and because of the current uh, uh, ugly division of our country and our social fabric, we are all of us inclined to um, deny other people their humanity. Uh, and I guess that's way the whole all of that's weighing on me, I guess, because of the this huge contrast that we're seeing now. Uh, with the the life and presidency of George H.W. Bush and uh, the man who currently holds that office. I never voted for George H.W. Bush. I said all kinds of horrible things about him. I probably made him out to be a, a bad man more than once. And now we see, you know, we're reminded that he was a human being, that he was loved and loved, that the most important thing to him, and this was really often very clear, was his family. And how his family so loved him. And that, you know, says a lot about a human being. It does. And that he was an honorable man and a humble holder of that office.
you know, I attended that very rainy city-sponsored, um, I don't know what to call it, uh, tribute uh, to the 11 Jews who were massacred at Tree of Life, the one that Michael Keaton and Tom Hanks surprisingly uh, showed up at. And there were very few people here, but the rabbi who survived uh, and who was front and center throughout so much of that those horror horror filled weeks he got up I think it was him and if I'm wrong I'm sorry but he said something about hate and how we've got to excise it from our vocabulary. We use that word too readily. He said, we say, I hate, you know, the Browns. <laughs> he said, you don't hate the Browns. You might dislike them and want them to lose. He said, our speech is constantly, I hate that. I hate this. I hate her. I hate him. And he said, I pledge never, ever again. He, he, wants, he considers that like the worst four-letter word. He doesn't want to use it ever again. Hate. And he said, I want you all to pledge to try to do the same. And I remember we were all raising our hands and I was pledging not to say I hate. And I was thinking, I wonder if I'll even make it through the rest of the day without <laughs> doing that. But it's been in my head how easily we throw that word around. And I don't know. I've I've been really thinking that we've got to try to force ourselves to have a more nuanced view or we're all going to be hateful. I don't know. So, now I suppose I'll jump into my stuff about all these people who I <laughs> have said I, I hate. But before I do that, let me do an obit, because this is a guy who... I never heard of. <clears throat> he never really sort of presented himself on um, in a public way <laughs> until he was 87 years old. You know, uh, uh, he lived a full life. He had uh, children. He, uh, he served in World War II. But it was when he was 87 <coughs> that <coughs> he wrote a memoir. Seems like a good time to write one, you know. I'm 87, I've lived a life. Let me see if I can impart any wisdom uh, as a result. And his, his first book was called 1923. You might have seen this obituary because I think the uh, Post-Gazette reprinted it. And 1923 was the year of his, his birth. 
he had a very difficult childhood. His parents were poor as church mice. Um, and his dad ha had been a coal miner, and then he was injured, and the family was just destitute, scrounging for food, uh, often leaving there wherever they were living in the middle of the night because the rent collector was uh, on the way. This guy, Harry, that's his name, went uh, to work at the age of seven and still tried to go to school, but he ended up quitting school at 14. And that rough childhood informed his heart when he saw others suffering. So he writes this memoir at 87, and it was published uh, eight years ago. And then <laughs> he writes four more books, and he was hard at work on his sixth when he died last week at the age of 95. He ended up landing a column in The Guardian. He became, in his old age, a social justice warrior. A few weeks, I think, before his death, he was at a um, refugee camp somewhere. He, I mean, is sort of a remarkable human being. Harry Leslie Smith. He liked to call himself the Earl, world's oldest rebel. So he saw the images of refugees around the world fleeing their homelands, and the same pictures we saw. But they kicked up memories of what he had seen in World War II as a soldier. And so he started to act. It didn't matter that he was well into his 90s, he spent his last years <coughs> touring, touring refugee camps in Europe. He took to Twitter, had more than 250,000 followers. He hosted a weekly podcast. And he often said to people, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. But for me, it's what he said about old age and the meaning of life that are the most compelling. This guy who didn't start coming out into the world till he was 87 years old said this. For me, old age has been a renaissance. Despite the tragedies <coughs> of losing my beloved wife and my son, it is why the greatest error anyone can make is to assume that because an elderly person is in a wheelchair or speaks with quiet deliberation that they have nothing important to contribute to society. 
it's equally important not to say to yourself if you are in the bloom of youth, I'd rather be dead than be like that as you look at an old person. And he says this. This is the sentence that just blows me away and comes back to what I was talking about, about hate before. As long as there is sentience, as long as you got your head, and an ability to love and show love, there is purpose to existence. Harry Leslie Smith, who did not love Donald Trump, by the way. We have a caller if he's still there. They've hung up. No, it's okay. Sorry. You know, sometimes I'm sorry. I know you you're, you you call because you want to respond to something I've said, and then I move on to something else, and I'm inclined uh, to want to finish that. So forgive me that hard sometimes to get us <laughs> working together I thought the most extraordinary uh, this mind-blowing picture uh, that I saw over the weekend was that picture of Vladimir Putin and the Saudi prince high-fiving each other and then greeting each other and with smiles on their faces. And I I just thought it, it, it was a picture of like just evil. These are two men who bestride the world stage. And by the way, two men that our president kowtows to. Two men who have no problem whatsoever murdering people, ordering, oh, God forbid their hands should be dirty, ordering others to kill people, often journalists. Journalists. Why? Because journalists are truth tellers as opposed to what their pal Donald Trump is trying to teach America, that journalists are somehow lying to them. Those two, that unabashed display, just made my blood run cold. And if you could, if you watch the video of it, you could see behind them walking into the room our, God help us, president. who had clearly been told, give them a wide berth. No such photos with you, like the one that we saw of Trump looking like a giddy teenager seeing some idol of his approaching when he saw Putin coming toward him recently. In, uh, in Europe, even as Angela Merkel and Macron looked at Putin with this thinly veiled revulsion, Trump was like, it's Vladimir. It's the guy who's got something on me. I gotta look really really happy. <clears throat> and also seeing 
<clears throat> that Saudi prince. That came after the news that we now know that the CIA based its conclusion that the prince had, in fact, ordered the assassination of Khashoggi. They based it on the fact that they had intercepted, boy, oh boy, at least 11 messages that the prince had sent to the team that oversaw the killing. Eleven messages. Even in the hours right before and right after Khashoggi's death. the CIA has the electronic intercepts. And that means that that was in whatever classified information was given to the White House about the culpability of the prince. And still the President of the United States refused to believe his own intelligence services when they came with incontrovertible proof <clears throat> it brings us to this question that Charles Blow in today's New York Times was asking, what would it take for those who forgive Trump everything, what would it take for them to start peeling away? You know, the Republicans hung with Nixon for a long, long time through Watergate, through his re-election, because that's important for them. Nixon had one problem, though. He didn't have Fox News. <clears throat> he didn't have a full-blown propaganda arm. And I just want to read, if you want to, you think I'm depressing? Listen, and I'm trying not to be, actually. I'm trying not to be. I don't think I've been so far. Um, Charles Blow, let me read the last part of his, his column to you because I su suspect he is correct and it is the reason that we are heading into perilous times. Because we are clearly seeing that Mueller is closing in on collusion, closing in on Russian dealings with Trump and Trump's campaign, closing in on financial aspects of Trump's dealings with the uh, Russians. All of this, you can see it. You can just sense it starting to happen. And so Trump will have Fox News in his corner till the bitter end. Something that Richard Nixon never had, and that's why this is not going to be as clean a result or an end as we saw then. Because Blow says, and here's where, I'll, where I will quote him, if Trump goes down, 
so too does Fox in some measure. So the network has a vested interest in defending Trump until the bitter end. And that could impede an otherwise natural and normal disaffection with Trump that, like we saw with Republicans finally backing away from Richard Nixon. Fox will keep that alternative universe up and in place as a shelter, as a sanctuary. Blow goes on to say, uh, and furthermore, Trump does not strike me as a man amenable to contrition <laughs> or one interested in the health and stability of the nation. Duh. I expect Trump to admit nothing, <clears throat> even if faced with proof positive of his own misconduct. Well, we know that's true. He he lies and he lied to us from the beginning about such silly things as the size of his inaugural crowd. He told us that what we were seeing wasn't true. He told us that what the CIA had absolute evidence of didn't really sway him. He didn't get it. So, of course, Trump will admit nothing even if Mueller offers proof. Nothing will be acknowledged. Nothing will be admitted. No apologies will be made. He will call the truth a lie. He will call a lie the truth. He would also never voluntarily leave office, as Nixon did. And here's the chilling thing. Blow says, I'm not even sure that he would willingly leave if he were impeached and the Senate moved to convict a scenario that I agree is hard to imagine at this point. So <clears throat> here's how Charles Blow, admittedly somebody who has been in a state of near uh, <laughs> lethal depression since Trump's presidency, says this. I don't think any of this gets better even as the evidence becomes clearer. I don't believe that Trump's supporters will reverse course in the same way that Nixon's did. I don't believe that any facts that Mueller presents will be considered unassailable. I don't believe Trump will go down without bringing the country down with him. In short, I don't believe we are reaching the end of a nightmare, but rather I think we are entering one. This will not get easier, but harder. The country is about to enter the crucible. This test of our republic is without a true comparison and we do not have a clear picture of how it will resolve. But I believe damage is certain. I'm afraid I have that same <coughs> dark view. <coughs> so when I see people, you know, f elated about you know, Michael Cohen doing this, or Mueller saying that, or sentencing of who and this, and closing in on Stone and Corsi, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, oh boy, 
oh boy, what we are heading into. Um, <clears throat> I came upon something I just wanted to pass on to you about Michael Bloomberg's influence on the midterm elections. I, I don't know if you saw it, and <clears throat> Michael Bloomberg is, uh, you know, he was the Republican mayor of New York City. He is now, as far as I know, a registered Democrat, <coughs> and he is an excessively wealthy man. Um, self-made, I must say. He has a number of uh, PACs. Well, he has two <laughs> that I'm aware of. One deals mostly with gun control measures. The other is mostly having to do with climate change. He has a great deal of impact in those two areas, and any progress being made there often you see his his footprints. But in this last midterm, he spent, he or his foundations or PACs, and these PACs are almost totally self-funded. He uses his own money. His spending in these last elections topped $112 million. That includes donations to help people running in house races trying to flip Republican-held seats. That included certain Senate candidates also included money that he gave to progressive organizations who were getting the vote out and doing other things. Records now available, and this, m this will go up because not all the records of spending are in, but records show that Michael Bloomberg spent more than $41 million on just 24 House races. And most of that money was spent in the last few days of the election. He laid low, didn't do much of anything till right at the very end. And meanwhile, he's looking at what's flippable. He, at the last minute, went into races where the Democrat was down by five, six points in heavily Republican districts, in red as red states. One, a specific state that people were just blown away by was Oklahoma's 5th fifth, fifth Congressional District. At the last minute, he goes in, the Democrats trailing, and he throws a bunch, he throws a really smart ad that he has produced and paid for at her opponent. He makes sure it airs during the Oklahoma football games. It aired at the quarter, it aired at the half, it aired at the end, it aired at the beginning, and it was highly effective. And that seat that nobody thought would flip was flipped. Of all the c Democrats he came in for at the end, those were 24 races, 21 of them were won. And of those, 12 had been considered absolute Republican districts or toss-ups. And so on and on he did that. I just wanted to point that out. He's thinking of running for the Democratic nomination. I do not think he's the candidate we should have. And even if he's not the candidate, 
this is what he's brilliant at. So I want to tip my hat to Michael Bloomberg. We have a caller maybe now if I haven't talked him off to. Hello? Hi, it's her. Oh, it's a her. <laughs> I'm so used to having gentlemen her. callers that I, well, hi. <laughs> you know what? It, Bloomberg, I, I think he would win. He would, you know, Republicans have always loved him. I don't know, but when his name comes up, I keep saying, you know what? Uh, as a, you know, never Trumper, um, c- close, closer to moderate Democratic, you know, points of view, I think he could win. Well, what do you? I'd vote for him if it was him or Trump. I'd vote oh for heck! Him, I mean, sure. yeah, but I'm just saying, yeah. um, he's, you know, he's an old. He's old. And right. He's an he old, probably doesn't want to do it. He'd no, be I think funding. he does. He's an old white uh, <clears throat> New York billionaire. And, you know, uh, that's what we got in the White House now. Not that I'm in any way comparing him to Trump. But I, I really think right. Democrats need to get away from the coasts. I think they need to find somebody who is going to be able to peel off you know, who's going to seem like a regular person somehow. I really right. do, and Bloomberg ain't. I rarely watch MSNBC, but I know I was watching last week sometime, and I forget which host it was, that was in a very positive segment going on about, <clears throat> you know, there are lots of positive and, and possibilities for the Democrats. And they went, I swear they did like 30 people, and they put a map up, like on the East Coast, who were the viable candidates, West Coast, Mid-Central it was incredible, and I knew yeah. every one of the names. And yeah. the more, you know, people that they kept adding to the list, I was like, you know what? You're right. That one's good. That one's good. That one's strong. So um, I forget who had that segment, but it left me with this incredibly positive outlook. Like, well, you know what's you know, they're right. Yeah, here's, here's what scares <clears throat> me, though, because how do we – you remember what the Republican uh, – when they were trying to find the Republican nominee last time – Remember all those people on the stage at those initial debates? Remember? I don't think we would do that. Well, we I will. We'll have to. That... We'll have to. We'll have to have a debate stage, you know, that that is like uh, at three miles long. I mean, I I don't know how the hell are we going to ever. Um, well, that's how where you have the leadership, which has not been, you know very successful lately let's hope new leadership gets in there and people are far more reasonable and um concerned about i don't know winning rather than uh ego i I, I don't know (laughs) we'll see well well, yes we'll see we'll see but i mean i i think that in, in two years this country will be so traumatized uh by this presidency that I, you know, myself, well, you know what we Harris, don't know. I, you know what we don't know is is he going to be prime? I think he'll be primary. Trump's going to. The Republicans might rip themselves apart a bit by um, somebody's going to step forward and take him on in a Republican. Sure, primaries. we know they are Flake, Corker. All of those guys are lining themselves up right now. They have uh, been, you know. And yeah, and you also don't know if one of them. Um, uh, if Trump gets the nomination, if somebody runs as a uh, independent, all of that will help any Democrat who's who's running. If the Democrats don't do what they certainly are capable of, which is uh, you know divide themselves into so many squabbling factions that, uh, as of you know like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, that you can't get together in the end. Um, the stakes are so high. Uh, God, let us. Hope. Well, they did it with the House Speaker, didn't they? They, I think that you know the the news media was like drumming up a battle. You yeah, know, yeah. Nancy yeah. Pelosi, the dreaded Nancy Pelosi, and yeah. they're going to put all these new young Dems, and there's no way are they going to like yeah. vote for her. I loved it because in a way they geared it up, and Dems just like went right with it, right. which was perfect. Right. You know, it's like, no, I mean, they were talking people. She has the knowledge. She has the backing. The fact that they didn't want her is almost the reason. Yeah, go for it. There's a reason why the 
Republicans hate her. Well, yeah. So that, they it, came together and did that, right? Peacefully, actually. Without much, you know, well, well controversy. She's still, yeah, but I, I don't, she hasn't been, she's just been nominated. She still hasn't won. Right, but I think they're going to sort of like just back her. I mean, she has. I think she needs. I know. I, I, I think. I think she has to uh, still uh, get more votes to to actually win the speakership. Um, I don't know. I mean, you have whatever. Democrats really are like uh, you know the classic herding cats thing, and um, but we that are, is. And hopefully, they're going to. They're they the new breed understands this, you know, or some people have gotten smart. I mean, that's that's what we have to hope for that. Okay. Because otherwise, it's pretty grim. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, really. Um, But Democrats do have a tendency to know how to snatch victory from the. uh, No, snatch. Yeah, victory from the. Hey, you know why I was going to call, and I didn't want to go too long with. I I think I I started listening today when you were talking about. um, I think uh, um, Bush, President Bush, and you were talking about how hate and people we have to come together, and I think that was. Weren't you talking about his funeral? Well, I wasn't talking about the funeral. I was just talking about that the contrast between him and Trump is makes Bush look like a almost godlike, right? He's just an honorable. Good I know, man. and that really frustrates me because I think everybody has that sort of sense of oh, he was a great man, and I'm thinking no, he wasn't. He really wasn't, and I mainly I will say nothing bad about. I mean. No, I think that we have to be able to say nobody in this country is held accountable for the, the mistakes they make, right? Well, you and know, my sense of H.W. Bush is that he was honorable, that he tried to do his best. He was a company man in that, <clears throat> you know, yeah. he, 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 look, he came from a, from a, something that doesn't exist really much anymore, which is this, you know, sort of rich patrician background in which uh, you were supposed to go into public service. And if you think about his career, I mean, he uh, not only served admirably as a soldier, but he also served in, you know, in Congress, in the Senate, in the CIA, in the um, uh, vice presidency, in the president. I mean, this is a guy who did his, I think, best. Let's remember a few things that he did that I credit him with. And I have to tell you, I haven't read any of the obits. I just don't have the energy. Neither Um, have I. I just can't. But one thing I want to remind people about is that when Saddam Hussein uh, decided he was going to go into, what was it, Kuwait, Kuwait, and take their oil fields as well. Um, Bush went in and stopped him, pushed him back, and as soon as he pushed Saddam Hussein back into Iraq, he stopped. <coughs> he did not invade. Well, and this is, is exactly what I hold against him. Why? He, he had did not. knowledge. He had his son. Excuse wait, 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 wait. me. He could have advised no, his no, no, son. No. His, he was not the president then. His son and Dick Cheney were absolute. It yeah, was but those more guys Dick were Cheney. all in, in but you Bush's can't administration. Hold that against Rumsfeld, H- Dick Cheney, all That's those fine. guys. But he stopped. He did not go. He did... I mean, Saddam Hussein needed to be pushed back at that point. He did. That first Gulf yes, but War. Saddam Hussein did not need to be taken out at the time of his son, his son's administration. And I could not imagine why his father, his father to me was never an honorable man. Knowing especially what we knew now, we knew then, a lot of us knew then, that there was no need for this, Right. I mean, you're talking, but you're conflating the son and his administration. You're conflating the son and his and son's presidency with his father's. I'm talking about his father. Yes, I know, but you know what? When his father had the exact same job, it'd be like if he was the CEO of a company, right? And suddenly the son takes over, and it becomes this evil whatever. 
you'd think that the father might have the integrity to stand up and say, no, this is uh, not what it's supposed to be about. Well, okay. Well, I'm, I, I don't know. Uh, and that's part of that. I, I used to think of his father. It was almost like well, his father has to be in on this. His father knows all the background, right? Yeah, his father was head of the CIA. I mean, that man had access to all of the correct information. And yet... Yet never said anything. I, I'm sorry. I, I just. All right. Okay. That I, I will never get give Bush the son the pass. Which now we're talking about him as being, you know, because, because Trump, Donald we're Trump, about how wonderful George Donald Bush was Trump the, the makes every human being look godlike. I mean, we all look better because of him. I mean, every there's not a president that doesn't look that hasn't gained stature in relationship to uh, Donald Trump. I mean, everything being relative. Hey, I got another call, so I'm going to let you Bye. go. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, caller. Hello. Hey, Len, it's Roger. Hi, Roger. Hi, it's Roger. How are you? I'm fine. Hey, um, it, it's, it's a shame. I, I keep explaining to people that it would, I didn't ever had a problem with Republicans. I, I didn't agree with them, but you <laughs> knew that we were on the same team, and that's changed. And I think that's what the passing of H. George H. W. Bush has reminded us. The passing of John McCain. I mean, there was a lot of fault that we beat him up on it, legitimately. Right. But that Republican's gone, and. And I hope they come back. I don't want us to be a single-party country. I don't um, see how they can come back. They, they need a new name because this Republican Party, it's been destroyed, and they've allowed themselves to be destroyed. I mean, it's not just Donald Trump. It's Mitch McConnell. It's Ryan. It's all of them. All of them. Yeah. They don't stand up to I this mean, guy at all. And, and honestly, as great as they want to hold him up to be, the problem of all this started with Reagan. Mm -hmm. It really did. I mean, um, you know, it, 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 you, he became, they became anti-government. And I've said this before. It's like, you know, name me a better government you want to be. I mean, it doesn't exist. And I remind people, say, okay, you hate the government, but point to one and get a globe out. Point to a country that has a better government that you want to belong to. You know, well, I don't, but country. Roger, we don't know enough. Uh, we're Americans. We don't know enough about other countries' governments to be able to. There are, look, there are smaller countries, uh, more homogeneous populations that work better, that have better governments. But when it comes to a polyglot uh nation like ours um it's not an easy nation to uh govern and um i yeah we i don't know what to say we're we're a mess right now we really are and yeah. we our government I mean, I mean, does not the offer the services that other governments offer their people and anyway you know what i'm out of time muddy i gotta go um Okay. Do you mind? Uh, I, I know. I have to go because I have to get one more email in, and my producer's got to get the hell out of here. She turns into a pumpkin at 11, okay? I got to run. Have okay. a nice week. Okay, thank you. You too. I appreciate it. Bye. Um, Amy has a, another job, and she's got an early shift, so I got to get her out of here. I just want to add this from Beth, <clears throat> and I, I think these are two... Very interesting point she makes, very. She says Michael Bloomberg should be heading the DNC because his PACs did more strategically than the DNC did in this last election. I suspect that is absolutely true. Also, she says, Rachel Maddow had on Senator Tester on Friday night. That's the Montana, right? Montana? who Trump went after with everything he had and couldn't dislodge him from a totally red state. Uh, Beth says he would make a great presidential candidate. He has the farmer, common man, drives a tractor background, and this last election showed he couldn't beat Trump 
and he can switch Trump supporters over to the Democrats. Interesting point. Of course, Tester would make the lefties in the Democratic Party go berserk. But I agree, that's a potential good candidate. Oh, are we going to be at each other's throats? Got to go. Amy's got to catch a bus tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.